You are listening to the podcast of Richland Hills Baptist Church. We are located in Richland Hills, Texas. Our desire here is to believe, live, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you're listening to our podcast today, if you have any questions, you can find us on the web at richlandhillsbc.com. God bless you. Thank you for that today. That was beautiful. And I, I love that song, Mercy Tree. And I love the words and reminding us of redemption and the grace of Jesus Christ. The last several weeks we've been looking at and considering a biblical worldview. What that means to have this biblical worldview, a Christian worldview, to see things from God's perspective, a biblical perspective. And we've looked into several things. We've looked at creation. That is, again, as people of the Bible, we believe that God created everything and made it and formed it and fashioned it from the faraway stars to even the tiniest of creature. God's made it all. And God made it out of His power. We see in the Bible that He spoke things into existence, so this points to a Creator, one who loves us. And then we saw God as Creator of people. That you and I, we are made in the image of God. Which speaks to God as Creator of everything, but also that Creator, again, of, of us. Speaks of God's love toward us. We're made in His image. And then we saw the biblical worldview idea of sin. That while, yes, we are made in God's image, you and I, we have fallen. We've sinned. We've sinned against a holy God. We have rebelled against His commands. And that is a reminder. Not one that we need to be reminded of. We know it. But it's people. We sin. And these things, they, they are important, but one thing I want you to see is that of these things here, none of them necessarily require a Christian worldview. What I mean is there could be another worldview, another religion perhaps, that believes in God creating everything. That doesn't have to be Christian per se. Another worldview could believe God created people in their image. Another worldview could believe in sin. Now, they're important, but they're important because of what we're going to talk about today. One that is uniquely Christian. And that's the idea, the worldview idea of redemption. I don't know if we have it on the screen, but do we have the uh, visual on there still? No, we don't. Okay. There's a visual that I had a few weeks ago of different columns. And each column is a part of the, the worldview. And there in the middle, sin, but also redemption. Redemption is at the heart of the Christian message. So this morning, I want us to look, and there's several passages of the Bible that we're going to look at. First, Romans chapter 3. And then 
in Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1, if you want to look there too. But in Romans chapter 3, we actually read this last week, part of it. We're going to read it again today. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. Colossians 1, 13-14 He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then Ephesians chapter 1, 7 through 10. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us. In His wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Father, this morning may we be reminded of redemption, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And may this idea shape our worldview and the way that we see everything for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. This idea of redemption, you see it through the Bible. You see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament, and at the, at the very core idea of redemption or to redeem something is this is this concept and one commentator put it this way paying in price in order to secure the release of something or someone in the bible one big aspect of redemption is that of slavery buying back a slave redeeming them Paying a price so that they could be redeemed. That's the picture in the Bible of redemption. Paying something in order to get the release of something or someone else. Many of you have read through the Bible and you are reminded of the book of Ruth. Many of you read the book of Ruth. If you've never read the book of Ruth, I would highly encourage you to read the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, we find ourselves there, and we had, of course, Ruth is the main character. She's widowed. She's there with her mother-in-law, who's also widowed and lost sons. There's a man named Boaz. Boaz is a relative of Elimelech, which would be Ruth's father-in-law. And Elimelech had some land there, and Boaz was a relative. And in this time period, there's a thing called a kinsman redeemer. 
Someone who was kin to someone else, and when they died, this kinsman redeemer, they could, they could buy back this relative's property and all that was within it. And in this story, as you walk through, we, we find that Boaz, he buys back the property of Elimelech, and with it, he's able to redeem Ruth. He's a kinsman redeemer. He buys back, he redeems the land and redeems Ruth with it. He paid a price. So this is a picture of redemption. And then we go into the New Testament, and the idea is also there of same idea of redemption, but we also see the idea of a ransom. Again, you, you, if you've watched any sort of hostage movies or something like that, you see a, a ransom. That's, we're going to see it's a little different than that. But this idea of paying a price. So to redeem is to pay a price for something. One of the things that we see when you think of Jesus, we go to the heart of the message of the gospel. And I know I say this a lot, but I'll never stop proclaiming this message. You and I, we are sinful people. We talked about that last week. We are separated from a holy God. We have sinned against a perfect, holy God. And because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from that God for all eternity. We have broken that relationship, all of us. Not only do we deserve to be separated from that God, we deserve to be punished. There is punishment, there is justice for sin. When you sin, there is a punishment. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. And so that's our punishment that hangs over us. Our whole life, this, this punishment of death hangs over us. This is what we deserve. And the message of the gospel is that Jesus came, God in the flesh, perfect in every way, sinless, no sin, that Jesus Christ, he stepped into humanity, he paid our debt. He shed his blood, which would be the ransom payment, if you will. The redemption payment. His blood was the payment. I mean, that's the message, right? That his blood was the payment. His death was the death that we should have died. Remember, someone had to die for the sins, and we did not die. And Jesus, he, he took our place, and he died on the cross, and that's the, the hope of the message, and he paid our debt. But one thing I want you to see is, the question is, if it was a ransom, who did Jesus pay? Some people think, oh, he must have paid off the devil. No, Jesus made the payment to God. You see, our debt was not to the devil. Our debt was to God. That is who we owed. And so Jesus' blood was delivered to the Father that he covered our sins. He took our place, and that's redemption. 
He paid a price. He, he bought us back. He, he gave the ultimate price for you and for me so that we could be redeemed, set free from sin and death, set free from death and hell. He did that for us. I mean, that's why we sing. That's why we're here. This idea of redemption also carries the meaning of forgiveness. Did you see that in those passages there? We have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Forgiveness. You see, not only did Jesus pay the price, Jesus also, through the cross, He has forgiven us of our sin. The other way the Bible sees sin is through debt, financial debt, if you will. Our debt has been paid. It's been forgiven. It's been wiped out. It's, it's done. It's clear. Your sin, past, present, and future, is forgiven in Jesus Christ. That's the hope that we have. And so Jesus is our Redeemer. I mean, again, this is the message. This is the message that missionaries, they give up everything to go to another place to share this message. This is the message that average people like you and me, we, we spend our lives telling our friends and families about this redemption. It's this message of redemption that has turned the world upside down for thousands of years. This is at the core of what we believe. But I want you to see something. You say, well, what does this have to do with worldviews? I want you to see. Because at the core of redemption, at the very there's one aspect is this idea of human inability. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Redemption, this forgiveness of sin, is not based on anything that you or I have done to earn it. We're not redeemed because we are good people. We are not redeemed because we are religious. We are not redeemed because we go to some church and give money. We are unable to redeem ourselves. You and I cannot pay the price that was owed for our souls. We cannot pay that price. Because if we paid that price, we would be separated from God for all eternity. We'd be guilty. And so we are unable... We are unable, we cannot earn this gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. And that's at the heart of redemption and the heart of this worldview, of this Christian worldview, is we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, but it was by grace. Not because of how great you are. And thank goodness for that, right? Because if it was based on us, if it was based on our ability, then none of us could earn it. And so at the heart of this worldview is what we believe as Christians is that we are unable to earn it. 
We do not have a religion of doing things, but believing and resting. Many people would say that it's not a religion. In that sense, it's a relationship. Maybe you've heard that. And so we have this relationship with God by the grace of Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, I understand how this applies to worldviews. I'm glad you keep asking these questions. Because I want us to see the different types of worldviews that how they view this. Because you see in a lot of different worldviews, human effort, human ability, human work is at the core of different proper worldviews. And then what I'm going to call just worldviews that we see, they're not necessarily movements or religions, but just ways that people see the world. But in one way, there are other religious worldviews. There are other major religions. There are other major belief systems. And at the core of many other religious systems is this idea that in order to please God, in order to get favor with God, in order to go to heaven or afterlife, there's many belief systems that say you have to earn your way there. There are non-Christian belief systems like this, and there would be some that would label themselves Christian that are works-based. They are based on human effort. Honestly, this idea, I, I, may, I don't mean to trivialize it, but for many of them, it's like earning points to heaven. Your life, is a sort of cosmic game, and you are earning points through your deeds. The more good things you do, the more points you earn. And if you have a high score, you can go to heaven. I know I'm watering that down, but it's at the heart of many belief systems. And so these worldviews would teach, hey, you've got to do something. You've got to be a good person. And, and hold with me to them, because I'm going to... Tie that in with what we believe. You have to do X, Y, or Z in order to get to heaven. You must fulfill this religious requirement or that religious requirement in order to earn heaven or whatever they believe. There's always some sort of earning. And then what we believe is that we're unable to earn. Now, as you'll see, as I'll mention later, we don't discount works. We did a whole sermon in the book of James about the things we need to do. But in a worldview of works, love and works become a byproduct of guilt, not of grace. You see that? Hear that? And these systems, 
Love and good works is a byproduct of guilt, not grace. And what we believe is that we, we love others and we, we do things, the good things, not to earn our salvation, but because of our salvation. And so there's worldviews out there that would teach that, so you always have to be careful, right? That you have to say, you have to remember what we believe as Christians. And so as you're out and about and you're talking to people, you will encounter people that believe this. You will encounter religious people that believe this. They may be in your family, your neighbors, co-workers. But there are religious people that believe you have to earn your way to God. And we say, no, it's through redemption. Through Jesus Christ. Then there are some other worldviews, what I'm going to call the self-help worldview. This is seen by the billions and billions of dollar industry that we call the self, self-help industry. This whole industry in our world is about helping yourself with, with some problem. I mean, you can go to the library, you can go to the bookstore, and it'll be a, a giant section. You can have almost any problem, and you can look it up, and it will tell you how to fix it. And so there's this idea in our world that if you have a problem, there's, there's something you can do. You can, you can fix your problem. And if you just follow these five steps, you'll be good go. And so many people, they, they believe this and they try to, and there's always a trend, right? There's always the next trend of weight loss or whatever, parenting, and people are led to and fro to, to find this because they believe, hey, I, I've got to do something in order to fix our problems. Now, in one sense, you say, well, pastor, that, that's not always bad, right? Not, not all self-help things are necessarily bad, and that's true. There are some that can be helpful. There are some that can, again, be very practical and common sense, right? That's true. But the reason I mention that, though, is that if we're not careful, these ways of seeing the world can water down what we believe, right? We can, they can seep into our belief where we begin to incorporate sort of self-helpism into Christianity. And when we have a spiritual problem, we begin to think, oh, it's because I haven't done X, Y, or Z. And so when you have a spiritual issue, you think, oh, I just, I need to find out the magic steps in order to fix my problem. The problem with that worldview, this idea of fixing yourself, is you don't really see it in the Bible. Yes, the Bible will give you things to do that will help, but again, it's all centered on relationship with God and Jesus Christ. You see, so much of these self-help 
they aren't based on Jesus. They're just based on self. The help that we need is ultimately through Jesus Christ. And by the grace of God, yes, he's given us wisdom that will help us and give us practical things, but it's not human effort. So many people believe that they're just looking if they could just find the right steps. The five-step plan, the 10-step plan, the 12-step, whatever steps they need, if I just find the right steps. Again, it's not the steps that are the problem. The steps can be helpful. But it's our idea that the steps will save us. No, it's Jesus. And so any steps need to lead us to Jesus Christ. And the other worldview that I think is important, I'll call it, if I call the other one self-helpism, I'll call this one the American Dreamism. This idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. If you work hard, if you put your mind to it, you can achieve anything you want. You can have success and riches and wealth. All you got to do is you just, you got to do it. You got to work really hard, and if you work really hard, you can have it. And this sort of American dreamism has been one of the driving forces in our nation since its inception. And I'll tell you, in many ways, it's good. There's a good quality to it, right? We see that. We've seen people that can come out of poverty and out of terrible circumstances. They work hard, they achieve, and they succeed. That's a reason why this nation, many people, they flock to this nation because it's a land and place of opportunities. In that sense, we say yes. We see that. You say, well, so then what's the big deal? The big deal is, again, that idea can begin to seep into our Christian lives. And we begin to see our Christian lives as the next thing to achieve. You see, at the heart of the American dream, American dreamism, is that there's always something else to get, right? Like when you see people that are wildly successful, do they achieve and just say, oh, that's good, I'm good, I'm done? Not usually, right? There's something more. There's more money to be had. There's more cars to get. There's a bigger house. Like how many millionaires and billionaires live in the first house that they had when they had nothing, right? There's something more. So at the heart of this is there's, there's another hill to climb. There's something bigger and better. There's a lack of contentment. And the bad part is when that filters into our spiritual life, we begin to see our faith that way, right? There's something else. I, I've got to get something bigger and better in my Christian life. 
This can also feed into the prosperity. This idea that if I have a lot, that might mean, it must mean God loves me. I'm favored by God. And so many people have allowed American dreamism to creep into their Christianity, and they're not content. Sometimes this creeps into the church. And the modern church can be very, again, they have the same idea. It's the the next big thing. We have to have big numbers. We have to have all the flash and the lights. We have to be better than X church or Y church. We, we We have to achieve it. We have to pull ourselves up. We have to earn this. Do you see a theme here? It's all about self-effort. If I work really hard in my Christian life, I'll be content. If I can just do this, if I can just get here, then, then I'll be happy and I'll be content and I'll, I'll love God and I'll, I'll be able to serve God. I just got to achieve these things first and then it's all good. But it never is. Because our contentment does not come through self-effort. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He was not talking about scoring a basketball goal or surfing a big wave or skydiving. He was talking about contentment. He's saying, my contentment is not based on self-effort. It's based on Jesus. I can be content in this life, not through self-work, but through Jesus. And we are bombarded with worldviews that would push, hey, you just got to do this, and you got to work a little harder, and you have to achieve this, or you have to achieve that. And that's not what this life is about. This life is not about achieving. It's about believing. And that leads into this last worldview I want to see. It may be what you call a naturalistic worldview. It's a worldview that believes that all that there is is what you see, right? We've talked about this. There's many people that believe there's no afterlife. There's nothing after this. And so at the core of what they believe is that your life is only made up by here and now. So you need to live your life to the fullest. There was a few years ago, I don't think it is anymore, there was the, the, again, teenagers were saying YOLO. You only live once. They don't say that anymore, do they? Nah, a little bit. This idea, you only live once, and this is your chance, and so your life, it's about what you can do and accomplish. Because once you die, you're dead. And so many people, they, they live, they're in that rat race, they're trying to achieve and earn and have accolades. And in one sense, we understand that, right? That yes, this is the life that God's given us, and we want to live it to the fullest. But we also know as Christians, this is not the only life that there is. 
And so we don't live this life recklessly. We don't live this life without a thought to the future life. No, we live this life knowing that what we do here will have eternal consequences in the future. With this worldview, it would say, no, you, you live now and you achieve now and your life is only valuable is if you achieve and you earn and you have accolades. I've told you before, and I, I know this is strange, but I, I like to read obituaries sometimes. They fascinate me. Because sometimes you can see they're almost trying to fit every accolade, every award, every accomplishment. And it is so hard, I tell people, it is so hard to wrap up somebody's life in a few hundred words. But at the end of the day, many people, their life really only matters what they have fit in that obituary. Because they have no hope. They have no hope for the future. And so this is a worldview that, again, is based on accomplishment. It's also a worldview that leads us to society pressures, right? Whatever society says you need to do now, you need to do it. And so many people are told, well, hey, this is the new thing, and, you know, you really got to do this, and, you, you know, if you don't do this, then you're not a good person. And people are always tossed to and fro from the next big thing in society. Oh, no, we don't believe that anymore. Now we believe this. Oh, no, no, we don't believe that. That's old news. This is the new thing. And so many people are constantly trying to figure out what's the right thing to do. Why? Because in these worldviews, there's not absolute truth. But we believe that there is absolute truth. Our life is not about all that you can do in this life. Our life should be about who we believe and who we follow. Our life should be about redemption. You see, that's the core. That we believe that Jesus Christ is bought us by his blood not again not because of work and if you and I if we will put our faith in Jesus if we will trust in Jesus if we will believe then we can have eternal life the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for the heart one believes and justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And I say all this because I, I sometimes these worldviews, they, they creep into our own hearts, they creep into the church, and, and slowly and slowly they creep in, but we've got to be able to say, no, 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 wait, wait, anything that is going to elevate human effort in lower redemption and the grace of Jesus Christ, we've got to, we've got to always be very careful. always got to prize and treasure redemption in Christ. And there's ways in your life that these things have creeped in. So I, the thing that I want you to consider 
how have these thought patterns and belief patterns, how have they shaped some of your Christian life? Maybe you've been struggling with something for a long time and you keep struggling because you're trying to find a solution. And you're trying to find the, just the, the trick that will do it. The solution, he's already there. And through his wisdom and grace, he will show you how to live your life and to overcome. But the other thing I want to tell you is, yes, sometimes we need help. And the beauty of it is that God has already given us the help that we need. Not self-help, but his help. Through the Holy Spirit, through His Word, and through one another. You see, God does equip us to be able to help one another. And I'll tell you this. There's a good chance that you are struggling with something that somebody else in this body has also struggled with at one time in their life. And God draws us together so that we could be a help to one another. We were not meant to live alone and to solve all our problems by ourselves. What are you struggling with? What have you thought that you're trying to figure it out? What is it that God wants you to remember that it's not about self-help. It's about His help. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this worldview of redemption. This worldview that is not based on our effort, but by grace. And Lord, I know that there's many people that are struggling and walking through things, Lord, and I, I count myself in that number. And Father, you know my own heart and how easy it is to always think that there's just something else that has to be done or you have to do this or I have to earn this or that. And God, we're always kind of drawn to this self-effort. Father, always drawn to trying to fix our problems. But Lord, there's some problems we can't fix. And Lord, I believe that there's people here that are struggling with that. They're tired. They're tired of trying to fix themselves. Maybe they've spent a long time no results. Father, I'm, I've been there. I know that. Lord, may you speak to our heart this morning. And remind us that the redemption that we have in Christ that came by grace. That this grace, Lord, will not only help us in salvation, but this grace will help us every day.
in every way. We need you, Lord. Whatever someone's facing this morning, we need you, Lord. And may we trust you in all things. I pray for the hurting heart this morning. I pray for the burdened soul. I pray for the lost and those who don't know Christ. God, may you speak to us. Show us, Lord, your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.